welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Wolf Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again. If you haven't clicked subscribe or follow, go ahead and do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday morning, and you guys are going to want to check them out. Don't forget, you can also follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. And today's show is excellent. Yes, the first segment we have today is going to be the importance of timing in training. We've talked about timing before, but we're going to get into the specifics of it, of how to improve your timing when training your dog. Then we have a segment called Training Tools Revisited. Yes, we've talked about all the different wide variety of training tools, and we're going to revisit some of that and go into some more specifics. Then we'll have the Breed of the Week, followed by the Listener Q&A. And if you guys have any questions for that Listener Q&A, keep them coming at me. I'm loving all the questions. You can email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. You can message me, comment on a post, whatever you'd like. I'd love to hear your questions about dog training or animals in general. And hey, your question might get featured on the podcast. So yeah, be sure you send it on over my way. But before we get started, with today's show. Got to give you that trivia question. Today's trivia question is going to be, what is the only animal with four knees? Yes, what is the only animal that has four knees? I will give you the answer to that question somewhere in the podcast today, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the importance of timing in training. I've talked about timing before, maybe a little bit here, a little bit there, uh, but we're going to talk about really in depth about what timing means in training. Okay. Now, timing is one of those things where I, I look. I tell people all the time. You know, you can have you can have all the understanding of psychology, all the concepts of training, and how animals learn, and maybe even understanding and concepts of technique. But quite frankly, without timing, none of that's going to matter. You know, you can have all this great understanding, but if your timing stinks, then forget it. You know, your, your, your dog's just not going to learn very well or very quickly. And so when we talk about timing, what exactly does that mean? Well, timing actually, when we talk, when, when I'm, I'm, I'm going to be saying the word time <laughs> and timing a lot today. Uh, and when we talk about timing, I want you to think of it like this. Timing equals communication, right? That's, that's what timing means in the training world. It's communicating. It's communication with your animal, with your dog, with whatever animal you're training. And I would say, you know, I usually say that if I could give two pieces of advice with training any animal on this planet, the first thing is own it, right? Act like you've done it a thousand times. That confidence will get you a long way. The second thing is knowing where their focus is and having the ability to guide and direct it. And I would say the third thing, guys, and I've never said a third thing before, so we're going to tack on a third thing today, is timing. Now, timing goes hand in hand with focus quite a bit. So we could kind of argue they're, they're, they're similar, if not the same. Uh, in some ways. Um, but timing, timing is definitely going to be that third thing that you, you have to have when it comes to training dogs. Like I said, you can have all the understanding of this stuff in the world, but if your timing stinks, forget it, forget it. Your dog's just, you're just never going to get there. I mean that in the nicest way, but it's just the truth. You're never going to get to the level you want to if your timing isn't very good. Now, Timing's tough because, well, quite frankly, it it takes time. <laughs> it takes time to master timing. It takes time to get better at timing because you have to practice it and you have to see it. And if your timing isn't very good, that probably means you are not training your dog enough. You're not actively 
practicing training enough. Okay, or maybe you're missing a little of the knowledge side too. Hey, go back and listen to some previous episodes. Lots of great knowledge that's gonna help out with your timing. Can't stress that one enough. Uh, but yeah, timing equals communication, okay? And when we think about communicating with our dogs, right? We talk about reward, we talk about punishment, and the timing of that reward, the timing of that punishment is crucial, isn't it? I mean, I watch, I watch people all the time reward bad behaviors. They wait till the wrong moment to reward a behavior, or they wait till the wrong moment to punish a behavior, or they keep punishing a dog when the dog's not doing anything wrong. Timing. That's timing, isn't it? And that's communicating with their dog. You're giving your dog a piece of communication, and the timing in which you do it is going to, well, determine what you're reinforcing and what you're punishing, if you're using reinforcement, and if you're using punishment, quite frankly, okay? Now, we're not going to get too off on the deep end on <laughs> positive and negative reinforcement today, I think we will do a follow-up session, or excuse me, follow-up segment on reinforcement and punishment soon because it, it's been a little while. We need to we need to refocus and and revisit that topic because it's a compli- you know it, it's a complicated topic. The positive reinforcement, the negative reinforcement, punishment, it's definitely it, it can be a little tricky. It can be, and I definitely found you know <laughs> people who don't have the wired brain for psychology, they got the wired brain for the numbers. It, this this stuff isn't as easy. Just as for myself, the number side isn't going to be as easy to learn and understand. So it's always good to revisit this stuff. So like I said, we're going to come back to that very soon within the next, I'm sure within the next few episodes here is probably what I'm going to do. Um, so we won't go too, uh, too, too off the deep end into the concepts today, but we have to talk about timing and how it relates to, to reinforcement and punishment, right? So, okay. So timing. Now I want to tell a quick story. Let's <laughs> see if I can make it quick here. I'll try to make it quick. Um, you know, a few years ago, I was lucky enough to go see a, another you know, uh, trainer. We'll, we'll say that. Another trainer who <laughs> was touring around the country. Look, first first and foremost, I want to say this. I have a lot of respect for this trainer and admiration for, for what they do and their success. And just right off the bat, their timing's phenomenal, guys. It really is. It's, it's unbelievable. And that's what has brought them so much success is that impeccable timing in their training, okay? Now, with that said, (laughs) right, with that said, uh, I was with another behavior specialist, another buddy of mine, and we went to go see the show, right? And (laughs) one of the things that that the trainer is doing is they want to show a different way to maybe carry yourself when you're walking your dog and how that alone can make a difference, in, you know, in maybe some behavioral issues you're having, right? So they bring a dog on stage who is a rescue, who has had no previous training, and who has has an issue seeing other dogs on leash. It will react. And so basically, the trainer tries to <laughs> minimize what it takes to actually fix a behavioral problem like this. Look, again, they are very good at timing. And so here's the thing is they walked across the stage... They try to claim by the end, hey, look, look what I did. It was magical, essentially. And no, as they walked across the stage, I watched them make five small corrections, redirections, if you will, to redirect the dog's focus. And again, the timing of it was impeccable. And sure enough, the dog didn't react because they were able to head off the behavior. What do I always tell you guys? Don't wait for something bad to happen. Head off the behavior, especially if you know the pattern and you know something. So that's just it. This trainer knew the pattern, saw it, 
knew how to head it off, had amazing timing, and when you know it, got the dog to stop. Okay. Now, I'd love to see that repeated 20 more times because I guarantee you the trainer would not get perfection 20 more times. That's just not (laughs) sure the first time. Um, So, you know, the reason I tell you this story is because, again, the timing, the timing was incredible. And that's why they were able to get such success. Okay. So, you know, timing is a very important thing. Um, but it's also one of these things where I don't want to lie to you about it, okay? And that was that was my gripe. Again, I have a lot of respect for this trainer and what they do and the success that they get. But the fact that they're going to stand up there and not tell the truth bugs me. It does. And that's what a lot of these, you know, if you, any of you uh, on Instagram or any of these other things have seen trainers out there go, oh, look, it's magic. And look at how easy it is. And blah, blah, blah. Look, it, yes, it is. At the end of the day, the, <laughs> it can be easy, but not every dog is that easy. Not every dog is going to be this magical five-second fix. Guys, when people post things, hey, look, I'm guilty of it too to some degree. You know, when we post dogs and <laughs> we want to show you guys the success in our work, and we don't show you the whole process because, first of all, if I showed you the whole process, you'd be bored because it takes a long time, right? And that's something I want you to keep into consideration, keep in, you know, keep in mind when it comes to timing and professionals. First of all, we spend a lot of time perfecting it. Second of all, it's repetition that gets us success. It's not this instantaneous magical wand we're waving. Okay, so when you see stuff on the internet, even myself, when I post a video and you see the success, I usually try to, you know, I try to reiterate, this is after hard work. This is after repetition. This is after conditioning this behavior for days, weeks sometimes. Look, some dogs in a couple hours, yeah, it's amazing. With great timing, the success you can make. And that's why as a professional myself, I tend to have better results than the average owners because I have really good timing. And it's because I've honed in and I've practiced it for years, you know, years, okay? So while you may not get that overnight success in your timing, timing takes time, okay? Timing takes time. So, all right, all right. I've talked for a little while. I've talked about timing and what it is and what it really means. It means communication. Gave you a little story there. <laughs> Let's get actually into it here, okay? So I said I wanted to talk about what timing is, understanding it, and then, of course, implementing it. So let's let's get a little more on the understanding before we talk about uh, implementing it into our training, all right? So, you know, going back to what I just said a couple minutes ago about the fact that that other trainer was really on top of it and actually ahead of the behavior, Boy, isn't that like the definition of timing? They're ahead of it. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not just on schedule. They're ahead of schedule. And isn't that awesome? Uh, yeah. You know, when it comes to behavior, and for that matter, I, <clears throat> I think it's the same with human beings and children. I think if parents were more proactive as, a spo- as opposed to reactive, they'd probably get a better response from the child and not have to deal with the same behavioral issues over and over and over. Because as we all know, a little kid just getting away with a behavioral issue can be reinforcement. And it's no different with your dog, okay? So I always say I want you to have that parent mentality. I want you to go, or rather, I don't want you to go, ah, why'd you do that? I want you to go, don't even think about it, (laughs) okay? I want you to head off behaviors before they're a problem. And the way you do this, the way you, you, you improve your timing on this is by recognizing patterns, Okay, this is how you improve timing and this is how you understand what timing are is by recognizing patterns in your dog's behavior. Okay, so 
when I bring in a new dog and I, I don't know what their patterns are yet, I haven't seen enough repetition to know, uh, usually it takes at least two or three days, you know, two or three days to really work with the dog and start seeing how they operate and seeing the patterns they run through. And before you know it, within two or three days, I'm like, all right, I've made mental notes. I know I can get five feet out the door before the dog pulls on leash. Uh, I know that they'll sit and stay for about three and a half seconds, but anything beyond that, forget it, <laughs> right? So, okay, let's, let's just use the, you know what, those are off the top of my head, but let's use those two examples. Here's how we improve the timing in those two examples. Let's start with uh, walking out the front door because this is a really common one. Look guys, most of you, there's gonna be a threshold. I always look for a threshold. Always, because that's how you find a pattern and that's how you head the pattern off. Thresholds, not the actual door threshold. <laughs> maybe actually, maybe it is, or maybe it's imaginary. Like, here's what I'm saying. If you leash up your dog to go outside, and I, I've heard this one before, right? Like the dog will be fine, that you can leash them up, they'll stay still, but the second you open the door, boom. Well, there's our threshold, isn't it? That's a very noticeable uh, trigger that is a threshold for their behavior. They can stay calm until that door opens. All right, so here is how we improve our timing on that. Instead of just leashing them up and running through our normal pattern of I leash you up, I open the door and they bolt and then I try to correct it. No, no, no. It's not, ah, why'd you do that? Remember, it's don't even think about it. So before I even open that door, that's when I'm gonna snap my finger and redirect that focus and make sure I have it. That's when I might make a little preemptive correction before I even open the door. Hey, don't even think about it. I'm not being mean. Just, hey, no, don't, okay? <laughs> right? Think about being a mom. Moms out there, come on, I'm looking at you, moms. You know, you learn your kids' behaviors, don't you? <laughs> you start seeing those patterns. You look at them and go, ah, don't even think about it, right? You need to start thinking like that with your dog. Right? If they're bolting out the front door on you, that's like your little kid, your, your child is about to do a bad behavior. Head it off. I might just touch the doorknob. That might be enough to get the dog to react so I can go to touch the doorknob and go, hey, touch the doorknob. They're still sitting. Good stay. I reward it. Ah, there's the timing. We just said, look at that. I stopped the bad behavior from happening by being ahead of it. I'm going to reach for that doorknob. I know what's going to happen next. So instead, I'm not going to let it happen. I'm going to go, hey, stay, remind them, reward it, then open the door. Now I've created a new pattern. I've headed off the old pattern. The old pattern is not even happening. And they're only practicing the new behavior of sitting and staying at the door. But the only way you can improve that sit and stay is by heading it off, is by making your timing better, making your timing faster, okay? Look, dogs are smart creatures, guys. They are very smart, but very simplistic. And with that simplistic thinking comes very quick thinking, very fast, you know? And so I can be telling my dog, hey, no, because they're getting up to go bolt out the door. But then half a second later, the dog, after I say no, sits back down and stays. Well, then guess what, guys? A half a second later, I, I, right? I just went, hey, no. Half a second later, they're now doing the right thing. I'm going to go, good, good boy. Now, I want to touch on this little detail for a second because this is, this is actually what influenced the segment today. My wife and I were talking about this, uh, this very specific thing. She was like, boy, I didn't realize you could really like that quickly turn around from a punishment to a reinforcement with a dog. And it's like, yeah, you can't. She goes, but you can't, like, you can't really do that with kids. <laughs> To some degree, yes, but we're not going to get into the details of child psychology and all that today. Um, 
But no, that's it's it's an important detail, and it really made me go, aha, we got to talk more about timing. We got to talk more about timing on the podcast, okay? Because it's a very important detail to note, guys. You can be punishing your dog one second by punishing. We, again, guys, what's the definition of punishment? Remind yourself, anything an animal works to avoid. Doesn't have to be anything horrible. Doesn't even have to be anything physical. Uh, if you need more reminders on how all that stuff goes, go back, check out previous episodes. Uh, like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll revisit all that info soon. Um, but suffice it to say, you can be punishing your dog one second and a half a second, quite a split second later, you can be rewarding them so long as they're doing the right thing. So long as they're doing a behavior, a desired behavior that you like. Okay. It's quick. It's quick. Their thinking is quick. And that's where a lot of my clients miss out. I watch it. I, I oh, like it kills me. And that's my job. It kills me. I mean, it's my job. It's my job to improve this part. But it's like, oh, you missed an opportunity to reinforce that behavior. Oh, you missed an opportunity to punish that behavior. Now look at your dog. They're six feet in front of you uh, and standing on their hind legs, barking their heads off at another dog. Because you missed the opportunity to either redirect or reinforce that behavior. You know, you got to be quick. You got to be quick when it comes to dog training, because most people just kind of let their dogs, eh, I'm just going to let them go and do whatever they want. And, oh, yeah, maybe good girl. But by the time you say good girl, they're doing the wrong thing again. And now you're reinforcing bad behavior. That's the importance of timing. Oh, one of my favorite ones. One of my, and we'll get back to the, I realize I've kind of gone off track here. We'll get back to the second example in a second. Um, one of my favorite ones, when a dog is sitting already and the owner keeps telling them to sit. Talk about the importance of of timing, guys. Like, stop saying sit, 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 sit. If the dog is sitting, they're doing exactly what you want. You need to be saying, good boy, good girl, good sit. That's what you need to be saying. Not, hey, sit, sit, sit. And the dog sat on the first one. I see it way too often. Timing is crucial, guys. Timing is crucial. Okay. All right. So let's go, let's go back to the other example. Uh, and again, it was off the top of my head. So now I have to think a second. What was it? <laughs> um, well, let's see. We were talking about pulling on the leash, right? You get five feet out the door and they pull. So we want to learn to head that off. And that's how we improve our timing there. It was sitting and staying. That's right. That's what it was. Sitting and staying. So if your dog only sits and stays for like two or three seconds and you want to extend that, you want to improve that. Timing, okay, timing. Um, you know, going back to what I was just talking about, it's kind of the same thing where people will will say to the dog, sit, and not say stay, okay? So that's the first thing we have to note is, guys, make sure you're, re you're, you're, you're communicating with your dog what you actually want, right? Again, if they're already sitting, don't keep saying sit. If they're already staying, don't keep saying stay, 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 <laughs> That's the biggest thing with timing is it has to be appropriate for what you're trying to communicate. And that's, I think, where people miss out on the stay. Two things. Number one, they repeat stay, 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 stay too much. And the second thing is there's no release word. I see it, I see it a lot where people don't train their dogs a release word. Instead, they inadvertently train good boy as a release word. And so the timing that you're creating, you know, think about it. You're going sit good boy. And then you release them by that big excitement. You give them a treat, they pop up and you don't care. Okay. So the timing of it has to be sit. Good. Stay. Good boy. Treat right away. Good. Stay. Repeat it. Wait two, three seconds. Treat again. Good. Stay. Okay. That timing is important. All right. When we choose to say sit, when we choose to stay, say stay, say stay, say that five times fast. Uh, it's very important. 
timing is crucial when it comes to your animal training. So if you want to improve your timing, the first thing you need to ask is what am I trying to communicate to my dog right now? What? If I'm trying to communicate a sit, then the second they sit down, boy, you better be telling them good boy, right? (laughs) Like, boy, you better be telling them good boy. Um, (laughs) Because otherwise, they're not likely to want to repeat that behavior, are they? You know? Because your timing stinks. You're not communicating what you want. So if I ask my dog to sit and they sit, the second they sit down, I'm saying, good boy, and then coming in with a treat. If I say stay and they continue staying, good boy, stay with a treat. Okay? Think about what you're trying to communicate to your dog and communicate it. That's really where the improvement on timing starts. Okay? That's where it has to begin. You have to ask yourself, what am I trying to accomplish behaviorally with my dog? And in this very moment, are they doing it? Yes, then tell them, good boy, don't keep telling them sit. <laughs> the second a dog goes to sit down, a little side note on, a sit, on any behavior, but a sit is a good example. That's the most common one, right? That people are like, sit, 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 sit. So if I ask my dog to sit and they start going into the sit, they start putting their butt to the ground, I immediately want to recognize that and say, good boy, good sit. Most people wait till the dog is sitting and then they wait another second or two and then they say good boy. Instead of as the dog is sitting down, I'm saying good job. Guys, dogs pick up on that stuff. Those little tiny minute details of timing, I guarantee you, I've been doing this a long time. A lot of people have been doing it a lot. I mean, 12 years is not a long time, but it's a long time. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm, only, I'm only so old. I'm not that old. Um, can't have been doing it too long. <laughs> but you learn a lot about timing when you do this over and over and over and over and over and over. And I cannot stress it enough. The timing of when you choose to use your words, your communication is so important. Okay, another one, a recall. A recall. Uh, getting your dog to come back to you. Most people go, Fluffy, come here. Fluffy, come here. And the dog is moving toward them and they're going, Fluffy, come here. Fluffy, come here. So think about this, guys. Like, think think about this for me. Now, stay with me, right? I have a dog. I want it to come to me. The dog is currently not coming to me. So the cue word I want to give to get it to come to me is, hey, come here, right? So at first they're not coming to me and I give that cue word or cue command. Then the dog starts moving toward me. Now, do I want to use the same communication tool that I got to get their attention to get them to come as once they start coming to me? Do you you see the distinction there? It's a different behavior. The dog's not coming to me. The dog's coming to me. I need to use two different forms of communication for that. If they're not coming to me, there's a keyword that says, hey, come to me. So as they're coming to me, I want to be sure I'm saying, good boy, good, come here, good boy. I can still say come here, but I need to associate and tell them, hey, I like that. Keep doing that, right? So I need to say good boy. And then once they get to me, good job and reward. Do you see the three steps? There's actually three different types of communication going on there because there's three different behaviors being displayed. The first behavior is obviously they're not paying attention. That's why we're getting them to come to us and recall. The second one is the act of the dog moving toward you. And the third one is the dog actually getting to you. 
Most people will use the same communicator, the same trigger word, the same command for all three of those behaviors. Do you see how that could be confusing for a dog? Whereas I'm going to choose to use three different separate forms of communication with an emphasis on the timing of it. The dog's not paying attention. There's the cue and command. The dog starts moving toward me. I'm going to change my communication and say, hey, I like that. Keep doing that. Go boy, go boy, go boy. And then they get to me and it's treat, reward, third type of communication, third piece of information. My communication has to change depending upon the timing of what we're doing, of our interaction. Okay. You see that, how that works? Timing is everything, guys. Timing is everything. If your timing stinks, then your communication stinks. (laughs) And if your communication stinks, your training stinks. I'm sorry. There's no other way to put it. You know, the reason I've gotten better over the years is because my timing and my communication has improved. And quite frankly, timing is communication. So they're the same thing, right? That's what we do. We come full circle, haven't we? There we are back at the beginning of the segment. Okay. You see, you see how this guy, I love it. It all ties in. Beautiful. All right. Timing is so important. And when you're working with your dog, again, I want you to go through this, right? You have to ask yourself, what am I trying to communicate to my dog? Are they doing it? (laughs) Is my communication working? That's another thing you got to ask yourself. And if it is, then think about what you should communicate after that, what the next step is. Should you keep the communication the same or is your dog doing something different now and therefore you should change your information? That's all training is. Like when you really think about it at the end of the day, all training is is information. It's my job to give good information to my dog in order to hope that I increase good behaviors or desired behaviors, right? If you think about it, if you're a parent out there, it's no different. You have a kid, your job is to give them as much good information as you can for 18 years. So that way you hope when the informa- when that direct information disappears, you hope you've conditioned it enough that it sticks around. No different when training your dog, right? I'm gonna hope I'm not gonna be doing the same training and same level of communicating at four months old that I am at four years old and 14 years old. We evolve our training with our dogs as they get better, as they learn, as they understand. But the only way to get that is timing, timing and understanding. But again, you can have all the understanding of this stuff in the world without that timing. Forget it, guys. So I can't stress enough. You guys want to get better with your dogs, improve your timing. Think about what you're communicating to your dog. Think about what your dog is communicating back to you. And that's how you change your time. But again, one of the biggest things, one of the biggest takeaways I want you to take from today is dogs are quick. They're quick with their thinking and they're black and white with their thinking. So one minute we can be saying, hey, no. And a half a second later, if they're doing the right thing, you can say, hey, good boy, good girl, good job. Okay, important, important distinction between humans and and dogs. Their simplicity in their thinking creates uh, fast thinking, creates black and white thinking. And so you have to change your communication to match that, okay? Uh, So again, work on that timing, guys. Work on that timing, get out there, practice your training, and think about what you're communicating to your dog. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. 
No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services, such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak a Dog Cast, Training Tools Revisited. I've had a segment on training tools before, and you know, we learned that. There are a lot of different types of training tools. You know, we have our we we have the things we normally think about probably as a training tool, like a leash and a collar and those kinds of things. But training tools can also be treats and treat pouches or dog beds, dog toys, crates, all these different things we can actually think of as a training tool. But today I really wanted to focus more on the walking side of training tools, leashes, collars. Mm, harnesses, <laughs> gentle leaders, halters, some of the tools that I love, some of the tools that maybe I don't. And again, I really want to hone in on this, on the walking, the tools we use to walk our dogs and do leash work with our dogs, because I think those are probably the most misunderstood training tools out there, you know? And it's important that we really understand what the tool is, what the tool is used to accomplish, and is it the right tool for the job? Very important because I see vast majority of dog owners out there using the wrong tools for the job and then getting crappy results and going, why isn't my dog walking well? Because you're not using the right tools. Guys, could you imagine someone building a house with just a hammer or just a hammer and a drill? It's not going to work. They need more than that, don't they? They need a lot more than that to build a house. And it's no different with training your dog. Your dog is just like that. It's just like building a house. It takes different tools, takes different techniques, and a lot of time, <laughs> okay? But again, we're gonna be talking about training tools today, and we're gonna be talking specifically about the walking tools. Now, when it comes to training in general, guys, I, I don't care if we're training a sit, a stay, a walk, a leash work, a, a recall, a whatever. I always try to live by the mantra of K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. Great advice. Hurts my feelings every time. Um, <laughs> uh, no, but in all seriousness, yeah, I, I want to keep it simple. I want to keep everything I do with my training simple. And the biggest reason why, dogs are simplistic. Yeah, they really are. They're incredibly smart. Very, very smart, but very simplistic and very basic in their thinking. And so the more that I overcomplicate stuff with having this training tool and this thing, and I have to have this right, this kind of leash, and then the more you overcomplicate it, the more your dog misunderstands you. That's just the truth of it, guys. So K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. Don't overcomplicate things. And the training tools is the first thing that I watch everybody out there overcomplicate. Um, look, the first tool I, I want to talk about is on the no-no list. <laughs> Runaway leashes. Extendable leashes. Guys, they should be made illegal. Stop using them. I, I'm, I'm ugh, tired of it tired of these extendable leashes. Dogs are out of control. You know, these dogs, people who walk their dogs in extendable leashes, majority of them, their dogs are out of control. Why are you forfeiting all of this control when you don't even have any to begin with? I, I, I will never understand. I will never understand. Stop using 
the extendable leashes, guys. They're terrible, they're horrible, and they're a bad training tool. I don't even want to talk more about them. That's how much I don't like them. We're done. <laughs> okay, that's the first thing. Second thing, harnesses. Get rid of them, guys. Get rid of the harnesses. Do you know why harnesses were created? You ready for it? To actually teach a dog to pull. That's the whole point. I've seen trainers out on Instagram going, it's a myth that harnesses were created to teach a dog to pull. No, no, it's not. I'm sorry, but when we started having dogs pull us on sleds and stuff, do you think you put a collar on the dog where they choke themselves to pull you? Or do you think you put a harness on them which naturally creates constraint against them? And as a predator, when they feel that constraint, they instinctually want to pull against it. Guys, when predators get cornered, what's their natural instinct? Fight. When predators feel constraint, what's their natural instinct? Fight. So you're going to tell me wrapping a harness around a dog's chest and creating constraint is not going to naturally and instinctually make that dog want to pull against it? Come on. Give me a break. Understand what the animal is and why that tool is not going to work for you. And I can already hear it, Dave, and I taught my dog to walk on a leash and he did just fine. Good for you. You're the 1%. It's not the right tool for the job, guys. It may work for 1% of dogs out there, but I got news for you. Why do I, as a professional, want to use a tool that's only going to get me success 1% of the time? Dumb. Yes. Okay? Not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but I am. I, I don't understand why people in the marketing business, people in the pet store business, people in, the, in, in think that they know more than professional trainers. Because they don't. It's marketing, guys. It's marketing. Walk into any pet store right now in the U.S. and you're going to see like 15 different types of harnesses on the wall. 15 different types of collars. 15 different types of... And the point I always make is, you know, you'll read some of the, some of the packaging and it goes, this is the miracle tool. It'll change your walk and fix everything. Well, if it's the miracle tool, guys, why are the 14 other harnesses claiming the exact same damn thing? Give me a break. It's marketing, okay? So get rid of the harnesses. If you're not running the Iditarod tomorrow, you don't need a harness. Uh, look, there are exceptions. And as I always say, there are always exceptions to the rules. Look, uh, there are some small dog breeds that are naturally more prone to getting a collapsed lung. And if they have a collapsed lung, vets are going to recommend you don't put any kind of collar on them. Well, then sure, there's a reason why we need to use a harness. And I've had dogs in the past where I have to use a harness. I don't have an option. And I'll tell you guys, hell of a lot easier to use a martingale collar than a harness to train a dog. It's not impossible, but hell of a lot easier not using a harness. Again, sometimes I don't have that option, but if I do, why do I want to make it harder on myself? Stop using harnesses. Terrible tool. Just stop it. <laughs> okay. Um, Look, it's, it's probably the most used tool right now to walk dogs is the harness, and I see it everywhere, and I challenge you. I have, a, I have a homework assignment for you. You ready? I challenge you. When you're out in public and you see a dog on a harness, I want you to make a mental note. Number one, is that dog actually walking with their owner or is it pulling them? Number two, okay, maybe they're not pulling the owner, but are they focused on their owner at all? Do they give a crap about what's going on on the walk or is it a free-for-all? I can guarantee you guys most dogs out there on harnesses are completely unfocused and or pulling their dog, uh, pulling their owners down the street. Okay. Harnesses are not the right tool for the job. They don't help us create focus. Focus is where? Focus is in the brain, is in the head, is in the eyes. And if I have a harness around their chest, how in the world am I supposed to manipulate their focus? 
Oh, through bribing them with treats, David. Mm, I don't like bribing. Um, <laughs> moving right along. Uh, so yeah, guys, get rid of the harnesses. Let's 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 just. I'm done with it. My piece on um, gentle leaders. Okay, I'll, I'll say my piece on it in a nutshell. Anytime I've walked into a home where they're using a gentle, you know, for a consultation and they're already using a gentle leader, sure, a lot of them have say, yeah, it works really well. And I go, well, why does it work really well? And they go, because the dog hates it. <laughs> I've seen it. I go, well, let's pull, pull out the gentle, I want to see what happens. The dog is happy and the dog is fine. And all of a sudden the gentle leader comes out and the tail stops wagging, goes down and they just kind of shut down. Sure, they walk real well, but they don't like it. Is that what you want the walk to be for your dog? I don't. Have I seen some dogs walking perfectly fine and happy in a gentle leader as well? Sure. Sure, I have. Uh, but not as many as I've seen walking badly or walking. They just look like miserable. They just look, again, just shut down. That's not what I want my dogs to look like on the walk. That's not how I want them to feel. Not that I can know how they feel. We're not getting into that. Uh, but that's why I don't really like the gentle leaders, guys. Uh, enough said. Let's move on. Um you know, I'm talking about a lot of what I don't like, and that's where it has to start, because I'll be honest, when you walk into a pet store, guys, majority of these training tools are, there's no other way to say it, they're crap. They're, they're crap, because it's gimmicking, gimmicks and marketing, gimmicks and marketing, that's really what it is. So if we want to, let's, let's go to the side of what works. Remember, let's keep it simple. I like a martingale collar. I'll spell that out for you. It's exactly what it sounds like, but you know, hey, I'm on a microphone. It may not be coming through crystal clear. It's a martingale collar, M-A-R-T-I-N-G-A-L-E. Martingale, one word, martingale collar. Um, my favorite one is the cloth, part cloth and part chain. It's going to be two-thirds cloth, one-third chain. The one-third chain is actually going to connect to the two-thirds cloth, and when you pull on the chain, it constricts the cloth part of the collar, Okay. For the vast majority of you out there, vast majority, almost every single one of you, this is going to be the right tool for your dog. This is going to be the right tool. Basically, a martingale collar is what we, it's its a modern slip leash. You all know what a slip leash is, right? You just kind of, you put one in through the loop and you tighten it. It's a slip leash. It, it's a tool that humans have been using for thousands of years. We've used it on livestock. We've used it on dogs. We use it on all kinds of animals. And do you know why humans for thousands and thousands of years have used a slip leash? Do you know why? Because it works. <laughs> like, imagine that. It works. And that's why we kept using it over and over. We didn't go, well, let's harness up this horsey and see if that worked. No, the bit goes in. and It's the same concept, guys. Like a horse, it's the same concept as a martingale collar. I'm going to communicate in a way that this horse, that this animal, this dog understands on an instinctual level. So let's talk about that with dogs. Why does a martingale collar work? Because it can, why does a slip leash work? Because it communicates with the animal in a way that they understand, especially something like a dog. Dogs naturally correct each other through nips. And a lot of those nips, where do they come in? Right at the neck area. When mama dog doesn't like something that puppy is doing, what does she do? She grabs him by the neck. When mama dog needs to move them around, what does she do? She grabs him by the neck. It's a communicator. It is a natural and instinctual way that goes all the way back to when they're first born. And that is why the martingale collar works, because it is meant to mimic that nip. We want to be in and out making quick corrections with it. That is why I choose the martingale collar. Okay? Because more than anything, it communicates with a dog in a humane way and an instinctual way that they understand. All right? So I, I really, I, I can't stress it enough. I would say between 90 
to maybe even 95% of you out there, that's going to be the tool you need. I use a Martingale on my Chihuahua. I use a Martingale on big dogs. Uh, you know, my, my half lab, half great Dame Penny Lane, um, who, you know, lost her about a little over a year ago. Um, but she had a Martingale collar, guys. Half great Dane. I use a Martingale collar a lot on my blue tick coonhound. And with that said, I'm going to tell you right now, guys, I am not anti-choke collar and I'm not anti-prong collar. Okay. Those are the next two tools we're going to talk about because I think they're very misunderstood. Nemo, my blue tick coonhound, tell you guys, sometimes we have to use a prong collar. Actually, not sometimes. We've had to use a prong collar on him for the walks to get him under control. Now, he was a rescue. He came to us with a lot of baggage. He's a very high intensity breed. If any of you know anything about blue tick coonhounds, they're not known for being easy to train. <laughs> and especially that nose. It's very honed. So sometimes it takes a little bit more of a correction to get him zoned back in, guys. And yeah, the prong collar, very lightly and with the correct technique used, can be the right tool for certain dogs. Now, Nemo's the first dog of mine that I've ever had to use a prong collar on, guys. Okay? Uh, it's okay if you need to use one, so long as you're using it correctly. Now, if you are going to go up to something like a prong collar, I do recommend getting with a professional. Hire a professional to teach you the proper technique, because there is a right and a wrong way to use them. Make sure you're using it the right way. Okay. Choke collars, it's the same thing. Um, while they're a little more forgiving, obviously, than a prong collar, you do need to be careful with them. For that matter, any restricting collar, you always want to be careful with, guys, because our priority is the dog's safety. And that's what you need to keep in mind. And that's what needs to be the priority. But, but at the end of the day, training tools are dictated by the individual animal. And what I mean by that is, hey, we've talked about it before, what you view as a reward, the next person uh, you know, person next to you might not. And what you view as a punishment, same thing, the person next to you might not. And dogs, it's the same thing. They're going to dictate what a punishment is. And let's remember that definition of punishment. Anything an animal works to avoid. You know, I say, if I took a, a martingale collar and I put it on a chihuahua and I make a little correction, that chihuahua knows it's a correction and all good. You know, maybe like a flick of my finger is all it's going to take for a, mar for a, for a uh, chihuahua. But if I utilized that same correction on a 110-pound Mastiff, 120, 30, 40, 50-pound Mastiff, do you think that Mastiff is going to care about the same correction I used on the Chihuahua? No! So I actually have to use my punishments and rewards very specific to the individual animal. Because like I said, what you view as a punishment, the person next to you might not, and it's no different with the dogs. And so I have to match my punishment to whatever the animal views as something they work to avoid. And unfortunately, guys, I mean, I'd say it unfortunately, I would rather not use a prong or a choke collar. I'd rather not. Wouldn't it be nice if we could all just sit in a circle, hold hands and sing Kumbaya? But <laughs> that's not the way it works, is it? Because at the end of the day, predators function like predators. And we all forget that I don't care if it's a chihuahua all the way through a mastiff. Dogs are domesticated wolves at the end of the day. That's where the ignorance comes in on these training tools, guys. You know, I've said it also. Some of these dog breeds, some of these dog breeds are like holding a loaded gun. People don't like to hear that because we think of dogs as this fluffy and cute thing that are here for our, our happiness and our vanity. And no, dogs were actually bred for specific purposes for 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 protection for military for hunting because they're ape they're predators guys they're apex predators at the end of the day a domesticated apex predator but a predator nonetheless 
And I think at the end of the day, everyone kind of forgets that. And so we take our training tools and we start minimizing them to our own emotional needs as opposed to matching them as to what that animal is. And when we start doing that on an emotional level with our training tools, we get crappier behaved animals. And unfortunately, guys, you know, a couple episodes ago, I had to had to have that talk, didn't we? That I think animals, dogs, are actually less well-behaved now than they were 10 to 20 years ago. And training tools is a part of the reason why. Because we have this emotional response to the training tool as opposed to looking at it for what it really is. Okay, so that's why, you know, we had to have this little bit of a serious talk today about the training tools because I really, I implore you, go do your research. Understand what a dog is at the end of the day. It's a domesticated predator and we have to treat it as such. And dogs like a German Shepherd, dogs like a Mastiff, dogs like a Dogo Argentino, dogs like, a, I mean, these high intensity breeds that were bred for very specific purposes, guys, they do need something a little more, a little a collar that's a little more accommodating to their perspective on the world, if you will, is kind of how I see it, right? So think about that with your training tools. While the vast majority of you, a martingale collar, and you know, I didn't talk about the leash, but six foot nylon leash is what I like to use. That's my personal preference. Um, you know, if you guys like those round rope collars, or you like a leather collar, or excuse me, leash, I'm all for it. I have no problem with that. Uh, I really just want you to make sure that it's a six foot regular old leash. Nothing crazy, no stretchy materials, nothing like that. No runaway extendable leashes. Okay. Really important that you have the right training tools because I guarantee you, if you've picked the right tools for your dog and the job and the training that you're trying to accomplish, you'd be surprised at the results that you'll get in return. The answer to today's trivia question, what is the only animal with four knees? It's the ostrich. Yes, the ostrich is the only animal that actually has four kneecaps facing in opposite directions. Now, there is a common misconception about the elephant that we're going to actually dispel right now. And the misconception is that the elephant is the only animal which has four knees, which isn't quite accurate. Now, what appears to be the elephant's front knees are in fact its wrists and elbows. Like other four-legged animals, the elephant has two knees at the back of its legs. Uh, the back legs and elbows and wrists at the front legs. The difference really comes down to a biological distinction between the bones that connect the joints. Knees connect to the thigh bone or the femur and the shin bone, tibia of the leg, whereas a wrist joint actually connects a forearm in the hand. So even though we consider most mammals to be four-legged, there is an important uh, anatomical difference between their back and front legs. So while this is the same for elephants, uh, you know, this is the same for elephants rather. So while they do indeed have knees, they only have two and the ostrich is going to have those four kneecaps and in each leg, the kneecaps are going to be facing the opposite direction. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the American Foxhound. The American Foxhound is a member of the hound group. Males come in weighing from 65 to 70 pounds and females at 60 to 65 pounds. The American Foxhound is an even-tempered, easy-going dog that can be a wonderful companion. They are a sleek and agile hunter that is known for speed and endurance. The American Foxhound tends to be a bit taller than its English cousin, and they are known to be good with kids, other dogs, and even cats. However, they do come with a need for a lot of exercise. This breed was hunt, uh, bred to hunt for hours on end, so a daily walk of at least an hour or two is necessary to keep this dog happy. 
unexercised and understimulated foxhounds can be a recipe for disaster as they can become very destructive. This dog does have a high prey drive, so that of course needs to be managed from a young age, as well as training and housebreaking may be a bit of a challenge too. The American Foxhound has few health issues. Owners should of course be aware of hip dysplasia and keeping their large ears clean and free of debris. Kept in good health, American Foxhounds can live to be 11 to 13 years old. The origin of the American Foxhound dates back to pre-colonial times in America. Some of the earliest dogs brought over from England and Europe were actually hound dogs, and by the late 1700s, the descendants of these dogs were being bred with imported English and French hounds. George Washington actually played a very large role in the creation of the American Foxhound. Now, while he may not have been living in America, much of the way he did conduct himself was from British traditions. One such tradition was, of course, the English fox hunt. George Washington was known to keep packs of hounds for, uh, for fox hunting at Mount Vernon. He owned some 36 hounds, and some of their names were Sweet Lips, Tipsy, Tippler, Chloe, Searcher, and Drunkard. I'm guessing Drunkard may not have been the best one of the pack. <laughs> he then began breeding dogs, keeping meticulously detailed records. He refined his pack with French breeding stock given to him by his friend Marquis de Lafayette. Now, in post-colonial times, further refinements were made to the American Foxhound throughout the South until the breed was distinctly separate from its cousin, the English Foxhound. Until the American Civil War, fox hunting with hounds was the principal field sport of the American gentry. Today, the Foxhound is the state dog of Virginia, and in 2013, at the National Dog Show in Philadelphia, an American Foxhound by the name of Jewel won Best in Show, marking the first time a dog in the hound group won that top honor in the history of the show. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Sarah from Jacksonville, Florida. Sarah says, I have a feeling I know the answer already, but what do you think about clothes on dogs or nail polish? Oh boy. Sarah, yep, you know the answer. <laughs> not a fan. Uh, no, I'm really not. Look, I, one of my biggest pet peeves is humanizing dogs. And what better way to humanize your dog than to put clothes on them? I mean, ah, <laughs> oh, gosh, look, it's one thing if you have a dog who's cold, it's a breed that's cold, that gets cold, and it needs a jacket for warmth. That's understandable. You know, that's obviously a legit reason for your dog to have a form of clothing on. But the people who dress their dogs up in little frou-frou clothes and put them in their purses, and I don't get it. I'm not on board with it, Sarah, and quite frankly, I, 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 I'll, I'll be nice and not say all of my feelings on it, but it's wrong. I just, I don't like it. It's wrong to do it otherwise if it's not for a practical reason, because the reason you're doing it is not for your dog. It's for you. And, you know, you're trying to fill your own emotional stuff and, or, you know, you know, you're going to say, David, it's just cute. That's the only reason I want to do it. Take a cute picture. Teach his own, but I don't think it's a good thing, <laughs> right? And putting nail polish on dogs' nails. Why? What's the point? Why are we doing it? I don't get it. Um, so no, I'll keep that one pretty simple. That's my feelings on it. Done. <laughs> Next question. This comes from Angie from Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Angie says, 
I take my dog to a doggy day camp facility twice a week and have been doing so for a few months. Now, I work, my husband works, and my kids are in school. So I started taking her to give her extra exercise and socialization. However, she has been coming back with scratches on her and the employees just tell me, quote, they just play rough. Now, today the scratches were a little worse than usual, and I'm just wondering if I'm making the wrong decision sending her there. I really want her to get the stimulation she needs, but I worry about her well-being while she's there and what behaviors that she's learning from the other dogs, too. What should I do? Oof, Angie, tough question, because unfortunately, this is becoming commonplace at doggy day camps. I'm hearing this way more often than I wish I did, that the playtime is getting out of control and it's scratching dogs up or sometimes worse. Um, You know, look, I'll just be honest. That doesn't happen at my doggy day camps. You know, um, when it's run by a professional and someone who knows how to look for for certain behavioral cues and things like that, a lot of times we can actually head off. Most of the time, honestly, you can head off a lot of these behavioral issues, even something like them getting scratched up just by letting dogs play too intense can create some of the stuff you're seeing. And uh, vast majority of doggy day camp facilities that I've seen, the dogs play too intense. They're unmonitored. They're not they're not socializing correctly. And so, yeah, you're, you're, you're like almost stuck between a rock and a hard place, you know, because you want to give your dog, you want to do what's best for your dog here, but it's tough, right? It's tough because you're worried about them. And I get it. Um, look, I've, I've heard horror stories and there's all kinds of things I could tell you about dogs getting bit at doggy day camps and getting holes in their side. And, you know, it, it stinks and I'm, I'm lucky. I'm very, it's not, I, I, I sit here and say I'm lucky, but it's not luck. It's not luck. My doggy day camps run well because I'm on top of it. And so, you know, what you're obviously, you can't come to my doggy day camps. Um, what you need to do is just, I would suggest, yeah, personally, I would suggest take them, take your dog somewhere else. It doesn't sound like this place is really awesome. It just doesn't, you know, you got to do your research and sometimes it does take a little shopping around to find that facility that's going to fit you and your dog best. I recommend trying to find somewhere that has a focus on training and behavior. You know, maybe they do boarding and doggy day camps, but if there's anything that has to do with training at all within that facility, that alone is going to help. Just having a trainer in the building to be able to point things out to staff and stuff like that, that can go a long way. Um, So if you can find a place like that, great. But, you know, maybe, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast before, but I always stress, I always stress, Angie, that walking your dog is what's most important. So if you're not getting your dog on those daily walks, then, you know, the doggy day camps, it's a supplement. And and while I want you to give your dog that supplement, why don't you try going back to basics? I'd recommend for, you know, if you're having trouble finding a dog, a good doggy day, go back to some of the basics. Go listen to some of my podcasts about how to fulfill your dogs in, uh, fill your dog in other ways beyond a doggy day camp. Now, don't get me wrong. I highly recommend if you can, it does sound like you guys are busy and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you got to live your lives uh, and you want to do what's best for your dog. So again, go back to basics and do some more at home if you can with your dog and then try to work on finding that ideal facility, which like I said, could take a little while, Um, but do your research on it because unfortunately at the end of the day, you don't run the facility and there's not much you can do about it, right? Um, complaining, you know, talk to the management, maybe talk to the staff, try to try to see if there's something you can do and you can go that route. But honestly, in my experience, it seems like you maybe need to find a better facility and try to do more at home if you can and get your family more involved too. 
That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you guys so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked subscribe or follow, go ahead and do so right now. You can follow me on Instagram at speakadogcast and keep all of those Q&A questions coming. Your question might get featured on an episode of the podcast. Have a wonderful week. Don't forget, get out there and walk your dog.